This is Chris Keys for From Your Guitar. Today I'm joined by Brian Beller of the Aristocrats. Brian, how are you doing? I'm doing okay. Well, I can tell just by how you're flexing that bass, man. That's uh, a hell of an intro for us. Uh, <laughs> Speaking of bass and flexing a mighty bass, I've loved your uh, Damage Inc. bass playthrough that you oh, did God. <laughs> with this particular instrument. It, you know, uh, So tell me about it. That was one of those things where I just felt like that uh, song, that was the song was the reason that I developed a flicking technique. That's really? the thing, because you know, I heard that Cliff Burton see before the age of YouTube and you know, being <laughs> yeah, able to this. watch what people did on videos, exactly. <laughs> All we knew is what we heard on the radio or from someone who saw a show and someone was saying, well, Cliff is playing that stuff, but he's playing it finger style, but he's not like playing it alternating fingers. He's doing some kind of flicking thing. So I'm just sitting there in my mind thinking, what could that possibly be? Because the riff of Damage Incorporated is like, uh, it's like, uh, So I'm like, you can't, I can't do that. I still can't do that, right? <laughs> so I'm thinking if he's flicking, it's got to be like maybe with one finger. So I started trying to work it up and I was like, that gets tiring. So then I was like, well, what if I try two fingers? And then suddenly it just worked. Yeah, the close-ups in that video uh, show how economical you are with that that technique because it's I would have cut my nails movement. a little bit if I knew I was going to be doing that today. It's <laughs> well, really we'll give shiny. you a bonus lesson. <laughs> bonus lesson, but uh, let's dive into the low bass here, man. Okay, so this is a uh, 1998 Modern Five. It's their active jazz bass, and uh, you know I had one that I played for 20 years, and it was it was stolen. Oh. And I was uh, so grateful to be able to find one that was made relatively close to when that one was made. Mm -hmm. Uh, it's got uh, Seymour Duncan 6770 uh, pickups in it, and it's got a Bartolini NTMB, the original version, not the modern fretted version. Okay. The modern version is called Dash FL, that's fretless, but before, back in 98, they didn't have denominations, it was just one single preamp that they made, and that's what this is. Okay. It's got an ash body with no maple top on it, uh, although it is finished, and then it's got a uh, maple neck and a maple fingerboard. And I just always feel like it does the things that a bright jazz bass should do, which is my main instrument. Are you sensitive with it? Well, you can also... So, I mean, it just does... My heart's you know. pounding on my chest. <laughs> It also does a really nice aggressive slap, and I just, I'm really, really used to this instrument, and it's my main axe and has been for a long time. I have two others that I have on tour with me here. Are they more backups, or is it more of a no, no, no. song type here, of thing? I'll, song. I'll switch just like I do in the show. I'm like, <laughs> all, right. all right, so if I pull this one off. All right. Here. This is a passive PJ5, and it's a totally different uh, purpose. It's a alder body with a rosewood fingerboard so it's got that kind of dark chocolatey thing you know for all that motown stuff that i do with the aristocrats it's like uh it's like a sweater <laughs> but, but, but really, it's really it's, though it's like a sweater there's it's some like warm and woolly there's some complicated things that i have to do like there's this five four tango that's really fast 
really fast and <laughs> so sometimes with a, a smoother more even tone yeah that stuff is you know it just works a little bit better mm. uh what else do i do on this one anyway that's enough of this and what but, about strings just as you go through these so bases interestingly uh they're both Daddario pro steels on here i don't believe in like putting flats on this instrument because it's still modern music that i'm really trying to mm. play even though it's got a dark tone and i feel like i need a little bit more character in the note even though i have the tone knob dialed almost all the way down like if it was all the way up it would sound like this you know, but it's really more about this. So I feel like if the steels are there and I put them on and I let them die, it's a, <laughs> it's a rounder, thicker, darker sound than yeah. just flats would provide. That's just how I've gone about it. So that's that instrument. And then... Number three. Number three. Another flavor. Ish. This is a, uh, a Tobias pre-Gibson 1991 that I bought when I was at Berklee College of Music. And uh, I used it in my very first gig, my very first audition with Weasel wow. Zappa in 1993. And then this bass, believe it or not, was stolen out of my apartment in 1994. And in 2017, I put an ad up on Talk Bass, not an ad, just a post. that yeah. just said, hey, you know, uh, 20 years ago, this instrument was stolen out of my apartment. If anybody ever sees it, let me... And somebody wrote me and said, I have it. Wow. I wow. did have to buy it back from them, which was kind of weird. Yeah, and the kind of. <laughs> did you offer a trade? or The story, I asked him how he got it, and the story that came out was kind of like, I don't, Sketch. Know, I don't really want to know. Here, how much money do you want? <laughs> anyway, I use this because uh, it has a really small string spacing, and there's this really, really difficult thing that I'm, I'm not even sure I'm going to be able to pull off if not in the show. but. called Last Orders that Guthrie wrote, which has mm. this really, really difficult chordal pattern. Like every single Clearly. finger has to be right <laughs> in the right spot or it will not work. Uh -huh. And on a regular spacing uh, five string, the Too hand much. Just, is just, you have to sit down and you really have to kind of curl over it. But with this, it works. And so it's fun to play a really quiet ballad, a really sensitive uh, thing on this. And this is Lacewood. Uh, I can't even remember all the bodywoods in this thing. There's a lot going on here. You've got the purple heart strings on the back. Okay. But this is the very first time I've taken this instrument on tour since 1994. Do you feel nervous? Uh, I Considering the, its history. They, uh, of course. <laughs> well, I mean, both of my main instruments were stolen at one point. So at this point, it's almost like, you know, the guy who's had his identity stolen. It's yeah. like, oh, it's out there, whatever. Yeah. All right, let me go after the red. All right. Hey, Aaron. I'll... Would you say red is kind of the one that gets uh, the most showtime? Uh-huh. Okay. Uh-huh. Yeah, this is the main one, and I'll, I'll take you through the pedal board. All right. All right, so the... The EP booster, that's just to adjust the levels of these two passive. I run this one. Okay, so you got two, it. one for each. I actually don't even use the other one right now. It's because these two are the similar level. Mm -hmm. Sometimes if I have different levels of different instruments, I'll, I'll have two different set levels for those as boosts. Okay. But uh, these are both passive and they're both the same. So that's just for that. So that the, the house is always getting unity gain from me. Because mm -hmm. you don't ever want to... No, we have, we're carrying our own engineer, but when you're doing your own gig or if you're doing a house gig and you don't know who the engineer yeah. is, 
if you have one level on your base and then suddenly you send them a super hot level, what they're going to do is they're going to turn you down. And it's not like they're going to turn you back up when you put the quieter base back on. No, so they will I not. I just always want to give them this, the, a similar level. Makes so, sense. So, volume pedal. Sometimes I use this for volume swells with a delay, but usually it's just for silent tuning on the on a side chain there. Okay. And then there is the uh, the OC2, the brown box that we all love. And uh, I still think it's the greatest octave pedal ever made. It looks old, man. Yeah, it is old. <laughs> all these pedals are old now. The Exotic Effects Bass BB preamp is my main overdrive. That's the one that you were hearing through this. Timmy C's pedal, but it does a pretty good job of yeah. that sort of thing. Then there's the dark glass vintage microtubes and an MXR six band EQ, which I use together. The dark glass vintage microtubes is interesting. I mean, do you remember the old days when like bass players used to use a rat pedal for distortion? Yeah. We're going back to the 70s and 80s now. It sounded great, except it destroyed the low end fundamental. Mm -hmm. So what, the, what, and it does pretty much what a rat pedal used to do. It just, kind of compressy, it kind of cuts low end a little bit, but it has this really cool vintage sound. So what I do is I put an active EQ behind it. And now it's the same level as everything else. And, and notice there's really nothing getting spiked. It's all pretty even on the, the, the bands there. Yeah, yeah, well, there's a, just a, pushing little, it. a little low, a tiny smiley face. Yeah, yeah. Let's, let's just call it a grin, <laughs> okay? Then there is the Micropog. I just got this. this is, the latest addition to the board. <laughs> That's fun. It is fun. It's an octave up. I have a very specific purpose for that. All right. Digitech bass driver. Just your basic, regular overdrive pedal. Nothing fancy, but I really like it. And it especially works nice behind the bass BB preamp. Especially in this. In a previous rundown that you did was about 10 or 11 years ago, you mentioned yeah. that's why you do that for the exactly. wall, so it has, it's more expressive. Yeah, so that has not changed. Okay. Then there is a TC Hall of Fame reverb Ooh. set to that. There is a very old boss bass chorus barely, Yeah. <laughs> Is I, I just really like that old Bucket Brigade chip yeah. I think that's in there, and just like the CE1 and all it. that. But it's a lot smaller than a lot of the CE1. Then there's just a regular a Boss a DD3 delay set to that. A separate flashback TC delay set to this. Hmm. Two different purposes. Yeah. And that's the board. Oh, I also have the Demeter Optocompulator on all the time, just okay. like I have for 22 years. <laughs> so moving over to here. So. This is just for a couple things that are new in the set this year. All right. uh, I wanted to have the capability to do a really, really low rent Getty Lee. So <laughs> uh, this synth module, this JV1010 is a very, very basic synth module. I just got it to see if the thing would even work. And I ended up sticking with it because it's what I had. I mean, I'm nothing bad about it. It's just very basic. This is the thing that makes it go though. The Behringer FCB1010 MIDI foot controller. All right. It's just a very sturdy, very solid, well-built MIDI controller uh, that does the job. And uh, these are spaced well enough apart so that even, you know, you know, Bumblefoot here, not Bumblefoot, Bumblefoot's actually a guy. Yeah, he's real. Uh, my two left feet, I should say, don't trip over this thing too often. Uh, and uh, what's after that? 
uh, well, okay, here, this. The Raven here. Yeah, so this uh, mini mixer uh, is a product that's at least 23 years old. And I'm using it because I want to have my bass guitar, which is coming through the pedal board, which is all, you know, there's no effects loops here. It's all just straight through the chain. And then it goes into the front of this, uh, goes to this DI box, and then it goes to this mixer here. Then the stereo output of the synth goes to the mixer, and then that all goes to the rig so that I can hear it if I need to go, you know. Because if it wasn't coming through here and I was just getting it through the monitors, it would sound unnatural. Yeah. You know what I mean? So. That's that, and then this is the main preamp that controls the tone for the entire rig. This is a Galleon Kruger MV Fusion, the original version. Okay. Love this guy, that's just a spare. And then there's two audio outputs to this. One of them goes to this big GK2001 RB head, and that controls, it powers the top two cabs, which are GKCX410s, which is funny because these are kind of supposedly the entry level cabs, but I think they sound great. <laughs> so I'm using them. Ring the endorsement? And, uh, yeah, and uh, so GK, 2001 power into these two cabs, and then the other audio output goes to this GK1001 to these two cabs, to the bottom cab. So I can have independent control of the tops and the bottoms rather than the left and the right, because, you know. Yeah. Sometimes when the floor couples, it, it can make it feel like there's more bass than there really is, and you want to turn down the bottom cabs. Other rooms, there's really not a lot of reverberation at all, and they're very dry if you're on cement or something. Mm -hmm. And maybe you want to turn up the bottom cabs. Very versatile. And everything has a reason. Yeah. I mean, I'm not one of those people who collects a bunch of stuff that I don't use. I don't have a hundred bases, you know. I just, I get stuff so that I can use it on the road or use it at home. If it gets used, great. If it doesn't, I sell it. Yeah, or it gets stolen. Yeah, or it gets stolen. <laughs> Too soon, forever. <laughs> Ryan, thank you so much. We're going to talk to Guthrie. Thanks, man. <laughs> All right, we are joined by Guthrie now. Guthrie, how are you doing? Not too bad. Yeah, thank you so much for talking to us. It feels like every time we catch you on one of these rig rundowns, you have a new signature instrument to talk about. This is the case here with this one. This is, is a Japanese-made version, right? Yeah. Could you tell us about the differences that kind of make this one uh, different than, than the one out here, the Mark II? Well, the, the starting point was really, let's see how the same we can make it, mm -hmm. uh, but manufacture it in a different part of the world and hopefully hit a different price point. Yeah. But it also turned into an opportunity for us to reevaluate couple of little details and like fine-tune a couple of little things yeah and what were some of those details yeah. I know that's uh, I know that something Charvel did uh, and they can see that in a review we just are posting soon is the bridge itself and then also some other small changes that you made if you want to take us through that yeah I mean a lot of this will be familiar to anyone who's read about previous yeah. iterations of this fine instrument uh, this came about because I was trying to get an original Floyd to work and at the time it was very hard to track one down and when we did we discovered I, I guess the machinery they were using at that time to make this kind of early 80s style locking trim that nobody wanted anymore yeah. must have worn out slightly and the tolerances had changed slightly so I basically found myself asking Charvel, oh can you change the radius a little bit, can you move the, the string spacing a little closer together, can you do this, can you change the arm attachment, and in the end they said, why don't we just make you your own bridge? Yeah. So, lucky me. Yeah. And yeah, I'm loving this. I and, think it sounds good. And right? the thing I think people will be marked is they remove the locking nut, right? Yeah. And what has that been for you as a player, what does that actually feel or what's the experience? Well, there are kind of medical reasons. Uh, <laughs> I get carried away sometimes on stage. And yeah. 
Sometimes I can hit the corner oh, of the locking yeah. nut and it has Abuse. teeth. Yes. Um, yeah, it can harm you. So <laughs> that, that's one thing. But also for going between drop D and standard tuning and things like that. Tuning's a lot quicker. more applicable to the other guitar, actually. I'll confuse everyone now. The US made version has this thing on the back, which is called a tremolo. No. Oh. And the idea is you can turn these things and lock the bridge. Oh. And then when you kind of want to go to drop D, you only have to retune that one string and everything else is still there. Remains a hardtail. Okay. Um, That's a handy little tool. It is. It's pleasing for when you have to do, say, a whole set with this band and half of it's in drop D and half of it's not. Yeah. Um, what about but, pickups? I'm sorry. Well, I'll, I'll quickly wrap yes, up please. that thing. Um, it's one of the corners we decided to cut on this guitar. This doesn't have that. Okay. Because we figured, why force everyone to pay for it when only maybe 20% of customers would True. want it? Absolutely. And it's so easy to retrofit one if you decide that you need it in your life. Mm -hmm. So, and the other thing that happened to me, I discovered Enki cases. Yeah. Where you, you can have one piece of luggage and it doesn't weigh that much, but you can squeeze two guitars in there. So yeah. it's like, hey, I'll have a drop D guitar. Where the whammy still works, yes. and a standard tuning guitar where the whammy still works, and it's Christmas time. <laughs> so. the best of both worlds. Yeah. <laughs> now, talk to me about the pickups and then also this, the switching configuration. Okay, these pickups are the same design as the US ones. Okay. They're actually made in Korea. All right. Um, is there a difference? All I can say is when they sent me this prototype, I didn't notice. Yeah. I assumed they were the same pickups. Yeah. So they look the same, they smell the same. They sound the Smell, same. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and it's the same kind of wiring system, which is designed to be as versatile as possible. And I it's mean, a five-way, it, it, walk us through that real quick. Yeah, okay, you've got... Um, um, I guess this generic clean tone will work for the purposes of this demonstration. <laughs> uh, so yeah, bridge humbucker there. Um, Pickup there, doing what you would expect, and yep. then in in between we have three flavors of single coil like that. Which is this guy and that guy. Okay. And then this one is those. So you would expect a thinner. Oof. I've only been in Nashville a couple of hours and already. <laughs> I Look at it. It's seeping in. And then this one is more, I guess, Stevie Ray country. Okay. It's that coil and this coil. So these two are closer together yeah. than the two coils from that position. And it snarls a little more. It has more of that. And it does a nice honky thing. When it now, was there a, a conscious decision to not have a... a, a spot where you would have just the middle single coil by itself? Um, it's the, the setting I would never use on a Strat. Okay. okay. And I know I'm wrong. I know the prophet Jimmy <laughs> well, frequently no used the middle pickup. Right Robin answers. Trower, I think, sometimes uses the middle pickup. But yeah. for me, it's not a pickup voicing that ever spoke to me. Okay. So I would prefer to have the telly option. Gotcha. In there. And then the other thing is this magic switch which kind of makes these humbuckers sound like single coils, but they're noiseless and the, the output level doesn't really go down very Ooh. much. So you can get... So you let the humbucker there. 
definitely different flavors, but the volume, like yeah. you said, is still there. Matches. Yeah. And what else? Should, is there anything else that we should know about this Speed Demon? Um, what else is new? Um, there's an, it's a basswood body with a, I'll be frank, a pretty thin ash top. Okay. Uh, I think the purpose of the ash top is 50% to add a little cosmetic excitement to basswood, mm. which is not the most joyous thing to behold <laughs> yeah. in its natural state. Um, it's a subtle tonal difference, but it doesn't make as much of a change as the thicker maple top. Now, on that one. Now, did the guitar or the neck go through the ro the roasting? I know that there was oh, a yeah. talk of the last model had the oxygen-free zone. Yeah, I mean, th this is pretty dark for maple, okay. so they, they've done things to it, um, and it's it's really stable. What can I say? Yeah. I took these guitars here, and they've been in the desert, being baked alive, and then they've been in places like Florida where they're being boiled alive. <laughs> and then <laughs> and here, where it's like 100 humidity. Yeah. Well, that's so that was kind of the rationale when we, I started working with Charvel. They were really interested in giving me a prototype and saying, take this around the world and see if you can destroy it. We welcome <laughs> your feedback. Uh, but they've always been good at making necks. Yeah. That's not an area where Charvel have ever struggled, I don't think. But this has got the roasted thing going on and the graphite inside going okay. on, so it's extra protection. And what should people know about for your string choices? Um, Gauges and brand. My perverse pandemic hobby was I went up to 11s. Ooh. Partially, I think, because if you're sitting in a small apartment and you can't really make a lot of noise, there's a lot of, kind of lounging in a miserable fashion on a sofa, <laughs> yeah. trying to get an electric guitar to sound satisfyingly huge. Yes. And I just thought, well, maybe if I go up a gauge, <laughs> maybe that will make me happier in this environment. <laughs> and, you know, after a month or so, they just start to feel normal. It's like this is what 10s used to feel like. Mm and in theory they should break less. And in theory you can play more violently without the, the E string turning into an F string for yeah. the first <laughs> few hundred milliseconds. Um, and the Daddario NYXL. So you stayed at the 11s, you've stayed at yeah. the Mighty 11. Well, yeah. you know, as, as you have learned and your muscles have grown, you're uh, clearly yeah. it's not a problem for you and well, your dexterity. something like this where there's a pretty flat radius and big frets and you can get the action as low as you want it. Yeah. 11s aren't such a big deal. I think the higher action with a lower string gauge would mess me up more. Mm. And so. do, during your perversion on uh, the pandemic period, did you mess with picks at all? Different picks, or did you stay? No, I'm I'm sticking with these guys. They, I have you a have the signature pick. I red forgot. bear pick. Yeah. People sometimes comment that this resembles a button, but this is far more expensive than a button. <laughs> and unlike a button, you shouldn't wash it. Yes. I learned that the hard way. <laughs> if you leave that in the in the pick pocket of your jeans and then do laundry, it comes out a shadow of its former self. <laughs> uh, now, uh, I've not really talked to anyone about a specific pick or signature pick. What did you ask them to create for you or a, a model that you used prior to? Well, I basically loved their picks mm -hmm. already. Um, this, I suppose, is loosely comparable to a Jazz 3XL okay. in terms of the size and stuff like that. But they they kind of chamfer away the edges at an angle so that you can play with the pick like that mm. and you get all the, the benefits of being able to pick at an angle but still there's a slightly wider cross-section pick hitting the string so it sounds a bit bigger. All you really have to do is sort of file it occasionally, get the little notches out. Um, so that was the core of a pick that Red Bear already made. My little development was can you rough up the edges on this side? So. I'd be impressed if your camera can pick this up, <laughs> but this actually feels like the side of a coin. There are lots of tiny notches oh. in there, and the thing that's fun about...
so you can do that. Man, it's a little yeah. homage, I know, not musically, but with the, the edge of the coin to Brian May with him using the sixpence. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, he uses the jagged edges as well. Well, I know that we have talked about this one before, at least this, a similar iteration. Is, should we hear it, or should we just move on to what you have on the floor? Um, that's your call. I think everyone watching this is looking I think forward to be the, the main controversial part. Yes, let's um, just get to the controversy. Yeah, I, I can visualize your comment section yes. now. There's no victory amp behind analog you. analog digital warfare, <laughs> peppered with the occasional Gandalf joke. <laughs> or the my bald words. joke. At least you um, have here, Guthrie. I, so, I'm the bald guy here. So uh, <laughs> let's, let's d dive right into this mud hole. Okay. I will, Axe effects. I will start by saying this is something that I've been wanting to try for a few years. Mm. Uh, not because of any better or worse controversial nonsense. Yes. I'm not saying this is what I do now, this is my new church. I'm trying it for this tour. Yeah. And it felt right because when we were all imprisoned for the last two years, <laughs> all the playing I was doing was at home. And the thing that kept me sane was working for Hans Zimmer. Mm. And we actually worked on a number of big film scores and I was able to just explore more of a sound design part of my brain. Mm. Um, make crazy patches that don't really sound like guitar. Yeah. If you've seen the film Tune, yes. there's a bagpipe moment in there, which was me. On the guitar? Yeah. yeah. Uh, it's just like 32 tracks of Axe Effects oh, synth so, patches, all okay. like detuned. And so my mind creative. was already going a little bit in that direction. And mm. then when touring started to wake up again, for me, the first excuse to get back out, out of the apartment and into a tour bus yeah. was with Hans Zimmer who has a big live band, and we just did maybe three months in Europe earlier in the year, and that was all Axe Effects, because we, we live in in-ear world mm. for that gig anyway, so you don't get the giddy thrill of a, a loud amp on stage, and yeah. the sound guy would kill you yeah. for trying, because yeah. <laughs> meanwhile in the background there's this poor orchestra t trying to be heard, yes. the, the stack of doom bleeding <laughs> into their microphones would not be well received. <laughs> so I became more comfortable with this digital world, and I just thought, let's see what it can offer me in this very different, more traditional rock and roll context. Mm. And as it turned out, our set has been evolving a little bit. We were a pretty strange, eclectic band to begin with. We, yes. The, the music we do tips its hat to a lot of different styles, and it was always hard to get just one amp and one cab to sound just right yeah. for each of those kind of pastiche things that we sometimes like to do. Yeah. Whereas this, I, I can bring 10 amps and 10 cabs on, on the plane. Yeah. Um, so what's been your experience living um, in this world uh, momentarily? I'm happy. Okay. Uh, my bandmates seem happy. They're saying we love the clarity and we can hear some of the, the songs sound more like closer to the compositional intent mm. rather than a guy with a rock stack doing a compromise thing. <laughs> um, but again, it's not a better or worse thing when we make the next album. There's going to be a big pile of victory amps in the studio yeah. because whatever's right for the situation. But this has certainly given me freedom to do more strange things. Yeah, show us some of the um, strange things and show us some of the more standard fair things. So, I don't, this is a random kind of preset I have for the song Bad Asteroid. Um, and we've got my kind of fake Jimmy Smith organ <laughs> patch. We've got the... Um, 
And then the screaming rock thing kind of sounds like this. This specific example makes me want to ask this question is because a lot of people talk about, I, I want to do digital, I just don't get the feel. Now with that, and especially uh, re reflective of high gain stuff, yeah. so do you feel that? You know, what's your experience playing this, I mean, this through this that is, and hearing that and now being part of that? This is feeling close enough for what I'm needing. Mm. Um, it will always be different if you're using like a full range speaker like that because yeah. the way it, it spreads the sound out is different. The beam is kind of a different angle. Yeah. So the one thing I'm not getting as much with this setup is the kind of Parisian walkways thing where you can like walk around the stage and find the perfect spot yeah. where the note will sing at a certain overtone and then you move to another part of the stage. Steve Vai knows about this and then suddenly <laughs> the overtone will change. With this it's more even wherever you go. So that takes a little bit of readjusting. Mm but I'm okay with it yeah. uh, because it, this system allows me to mess around with other things. Let me try to find you something more entertaining. Um, what, mean, what have we got here? Um, this might be fun. Um, somebody bootlegged this song, Stupid Seven, and put it on YouTube. <laughs> and someone says, that guitar sounds shit. It sounds like a synthesizer. It was like, guess what? <laughs> it is. I get to be Jan Hammer, <laughs> budget Jan Hammer. Uh, what else is fun? I should go straight to this song, because this, this is a new song that I'm not allowed to talk about, but it was when I discovered that this would be part of the new set. That right. gave me the extra push to try this bold digital voyage. Um, it's one of Brian's songs, and it's based on like, 90s dance music. Mm. So. <laughs> Parts where I get to play kind of normal rock guitar melody, and yeah. then all of a sudden, I <laughs> and making this patch kind of hurt my brain. How so? Um, because there's a sequencer in the fractal, mm. and you can kind of program how open or closed the filter is for any one of those sixteenth notes, and then fine, you can tap tempo. So we've got at the right tempo. <laughs> but because we don't play with tracks, we don't play with a click, mm. the sequencer doesn't know exactly when beat one is going to happen from yeah. one night to the next. So I had to figure out a thing where you use the envelope of the note to start the sequencer. Ah, uh, there's the trigger And then re-trigger it. Yeah. So now I'm kind of confident if I go one, two, three, four. And that's kind of therapeutic. And one of the other <laughs> things I can do that I couldn't really do with a normal rig is... Yeah, I don't imagine how you do cross that. Crossfade between two completely different rigs. Yeah. And there are moments in this song where there's, there was really no other solution that wouldn't just have been a horrible compromise. Uh, I could see else? the creativity just blooming in your eyes with this machine at your foot, yeah, at your feet. I mean, it's good to sh shake things up a bit sometimes. <laughs> I'm trying to think what else I've got that you might enjoy on here. Um, oh, maybe this. Um, 
This is something I always wanted on the pedal board but could never justify it. Um, that kind of Frank Zappa, Dynaflange kind of thing. And yeah. there's a way to do that by getting the, the level of the note you're playing to control the time of a short delay. And there it is so inside it's good, here. The harder you hit it, the more out of tune it goes. <laughs> Oh, and I've got this other thing. Trust me, there's a point in the song where it actually needs that. It's the world's longest delay. Um. that also buys me time to get into character for the next part of the song. You know, it's a nice way of smoothing over the transition. So yeah, I've been having fun doing that kind of silliness. Guthrie, I wish I could be as silly as you are because you're just phenomenal. It's always a joy to talk to you. It's always a joy to see you play. Thank you so much for doing what you kind. do. Uh, everyone out there, stay safe. Come check out these guys on tour. You will have fun with this silly man named Guthrie. I leave you with these fingers. <laughs>